Welcome to Hashing It Out, a podcast where we talk to the tech innovators behind blockchain infrastructure and decentralized networks. We dive into the weeds to get at why and how people build this technology and the problems they face along the way. Come listen and learn from the best in the business so you can join their ranks. All right, everyone. Episode 12, hashing it out, doing something a bit different today. We do not have a guest. We actually um, are going to talk between ourselves. So it's me and Colin. Say what's up, Colin. What's up, Colin? And we are going to walk through. Dude, I said that all sultry and stuff. Hey, that was, yeah, that was pretty, that was pretty hot. Quite a yeah. bit sultry. Yeah, I don't, I don't, yeah. Ladies, what's up? <laughs> <laughs> So today we are walking through the new um, Casper plus sharding spec released recently for Ethereum, um, how it's changing from the standard, um, I guess those are two different initiatives in the scaling roadmap for Ethereum. They're combining them because there's a lot of redundancy and this seems to be a more, I guess, solid roadmap in which they can continue, or at least that's what they believe. So we're going to walk through the new proposal and then ask questions about it slash have a conversation slash try and figure out what's going on and explain it to those who are curious about it as well. So hopefully by the end of this experiment, we'll all be on a better page of what Ethereum is trying to do to scale from a proof of work blockchain. So uh, something I, I mean... The way you just described it made it sound really final. And I've seen a lot of links out there that make it sound super final too. But from my understanding at this point, what this is is the result of a phone call. I mean, they've worked on this for a while, but like the latest, the latest, the latest Ethereum, whatever phone call or, you know, um, what's it called? Like conference meeting yeah, or whatever. Developer meetup. Yeah. They're just like, hey, I've got this alternative solution. It's, it seems like it would reduce a lot of the redundancy that we're doing. So in the, um, Casper FFG and Casper CBC. So, so everybody knows Casper FFG is the first iteration. Um, Casper CBC is the final Holy Grail POS as we know it kind of uh, iteration. Um, and then there's this whole concept of sharding, which people like Vlad have been working on. Um, and like they saw a lot of redundant work going into this and they're like, oh, well, you know, I think maybe it makes more sense to do sharding plus casper at the same time because really like you can do a much better sharding much easier if we just had a better proof of stake mechanism built into it and that's kind of what they seem to be concocting now i don't think any of this is finalized but they have talked about deprecating what is it eip 1011 yeah um as a result of this so it it could make this whole ffg effort a little little uh moot or at least a cbc one for sure um but that's fine if it works better and it seems like it would come together quicker. So yeah, I don't want to call this final, but it's, it's it's definitely a movement towards coalescing a lot of the previous work that was somewhat disparate into a single channel of everyone trying to follow the same thing. And the framework in which they've laid out here, um, at least on a surface level, seems to do that quite well. Although there's some, some massive, uh. I'd say, fundamental changes to how the Ethereum ecosystem works based on what they've laid out here. 
Yeah, the the way they laid it out, I'm not entirely clear yet if this is actually. I think it's a start, but I'm kind of like looking at it and going, there's some things I just don't understand yet based off these notes. And I've read it like four times by now. Um, I've posted issues on their GitHub to get some clarification about stuff. I mean, it's not like very specific. It's just very high level in general that I'm trying to get. Um, but I'm not, I'm not, I think this is a, as a proof of concept, it shows that the protocol, the way they handshake things could kind of work, but I think there's still a lot of stuff to iron out here. Um, even but the it bottom, would be, the bottom of the that? says that it's, this is only at maximum 80% yeah. done in terms of the things they need to flesh out. And oh, yeah. even the yeah. things that they quote unquote flesh out here still need more fleshing out. But it, I, I want to make sure that people get an idea of the mindset of the developers in Ethereum and where they would like to go or like the solutions they're thinking about in terms of solving the scaling. Um, and I guess let's just, let's just start. So um, the idea is to have basically a new chain starting that is a series of change chains one with the base layer being a randau proof of stake chain so randau is basically a um, decentralized autonomous organization that produces random numbers we'll have the uh so randau is actually a contract okay so like the proof is the beacon chain i from what i gather and i'm sorry to cut you off there but from what i gather it's like you're still going to have the main chain you have a main root proof of work chain um, and that's how value is going to be kind of generated at, at some level, I, I, from what I understand. Um, and then people are going to start staking their their Ethereum at a fixed non-variable rate of 32 Ethereum into a side chain called the Beacon Chain. And the Beacon Chain has in its base layer protocol chain a Randau contract. Um and Randau is like random. It probably means something in an acronym way, but DAO, we all know, is Decentralized Autonomous Organization. Is that, is that right? Yes. Autonomous? Yeah. Um, ran, it's just a random number generator. That's what it is. And I think we've mentioned on the show before that the very foundation, I mean, you brought this up, per, Corey. This is, this is your your concept, as you explained it to me, is that really what proof of work is, is, is just generating random numbers. It's 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 literally the whole purpose is to just generate generate enough randomness to confirm something so you could sign something um, in, a, in a way that where you no one person has control over what that random process is and using that randomness as a source of truth for a time period. So the very fundamental my understanding of this is that the main chain is still going to exist and they reference it quite a bit in this paper. And then there's going to be this beacon chain, and the beacon chain essentially acts as that beacon of randomness. Let me – okay, so the, the main chain will exist, but what they're saying is that this this whole system that we're about to describe is a movement away from the main chain into, uh. into this new system. So you would deposit – you basically – which requires two different changes to the main proof-of-work chain as we know it. A contract that basically says, I am staking – my 32F from the proof of work chain onto a shard number of the proof of stake chain that we're about to discuss. Mm-hmm. That's not, and I, the way I see it, that's a burn. You're burning coins on the main chain for coins on the new, on the new chain. So but I thought you could withdraw as well. That's what I'm not sure. And that's not quite cleared up on this, uh, 
this so document. Burn, it'll be a lock, I thought. It's either a lock or withdraw. But I mean, there's a there's a chance that this moves into a migration from the main chain to the system if it works out nicely. Mm. And so you move away from proof of work altogether, but you do it in a seamless way or hopefully a seamless way through burning on the main chain and creating on the other chain. But I'm not... Well I'm not sure about that because... Yeah, I'm not sure about that either because if you look... Uh, so the Beacon chain has its own proof-of-stake uh, system. It's, it's basically a proof-of-stake chain, whereas the main chain is still um, proof-of-work. Uh, there's a main chain reference in every block on the Beacon chain. It's baked in. Yeah. So if the fields of the actual, the actual block hash of a main chain block is stored in every block of the beacon chain so i'm not sure necessarily that this is actually a migration effort yet just an expansion um, it could it be might, just an expansion it might, be, it might be a first step but i don't see proof of work going away if people can like for instance with the current hash rate if, if people are not like actually devoting a lot of resources to hashing but instead of going to staking, although really it wouldn't matter because staking is so light, you could do both. I don't know. Like I can't from this, I cannot tell what the intent is. Are we migrating off of proof of because the functions of the main chain is baked into the foundation of this beacon chain? Okay. Well, at least we can we can agree with the fact that the beacon chain is to serve as a um, manager of the validators for all shards. Yes. Okay. So the beacon chain, which is this random number generator at in some in some cases, is also the main chain of the proof of stake system. It stores and maintains validators. It processes a things called cross links, which we'll talk about in a moment. And it also processes its own consensus and finality gadget, which we'll discuss. So it's basically the root for all of the shards that that look at it. And this is this is the same structure as Definity. But instead of using threshold relays that Definity uses, it uses a Randau for creating random number generation. So let's talk about the Randau real quick. Okay. So the the random number generation, I think we've 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 encountered this a couple times in previous podcasts, is that really and this is your concept that you taught me, Corey. So mad props for really breaking it down like this. But Really, what what a lot of this this consensus stuff depends on is the ability to get a bunch of uncertainty and sign it. And really, what you really want at the very core is for everybody to have the same random deterministic random number, and then sign that. And then if everybody's doing that, you know that it's correct because everybody's on the same page. The problem is generating this new random number. Now, proof of work basically does that for you by having enough data that is uns that you can't predict coming from multiple sources coming in. That uh, you know that essentially is your random seed for producing the next block. Um, in the case of Definity, it's actually using cryptographic metho methodology, um, using uh, BLS ring, ring signature schemes to uh, to select a subcommittee of validators, who then fifty one percent of whom have to sign a block. Uh, in this case, it deviates quite a bit. Um, in that uh, instead of doing that, it's basically kind of similar to what Definity is doing, but also not in that it's using this Randau contract. As I know it, Randau is just a contract, though they might bake it into the protocol somehow. Um, it's baked into the to the beacon chain. So it's, it's, uh, it looks like it's a, it is a, 
baked in aspect of the beacon chain. Okay. Previous iterations have been like, you can actually go to Randau, like github.com slash Randau, and you can throw up your own random, random Randau contract. Um, it's, it's basically a, uh, uh, it's a method for having enough people like, like say, Hey, I want to be, uh, uh, signer or a, a, I want to throw my skin in the game for producing the next random number. And then the contract accepts them and then a round pops up and then they all again, sign again. And, and that throws in enough random gibberish information that then the next block comes up. They can actually all pull, anybody could pull out the next random number. Um, and then their, their stake in the game is basically, Hey, we're going to, we're going to get a little cut back on this, I believe. Um, and then whatever's left over is actually goes to the Randall contract, which is sent to charity. Yeah. Well, actually um, I have, I have the Randall, um, contract up or the github up i can just read the the, the there's three phases to the randall yep. i can just read them off real quick to give us so we have like we know what they are uh first phase is collecting valid shothries and it says anyone who wants to participate in the random number generation needs to send a transaction to the contract denoted c with a certain amount of f as pledge in a specified time period, for example, yeah. six block period, approximately 70 seconds. I guess that's a, that's a parameter of the contract. Accompanied by the result of SHA threes, uh, S is the secret number respective picked up by participants. So it's a SHA three of S, which is the secret number um, that is picked by each participant. So you send the SHA of a secret number. Um, second phase is collecting valid secrets. So after the first phase, Anyone who submitted a SHA-3 of a secret successfully send, needs to send a transaction with the secret number in the first stage of the contract within a specified time period. So you send the SHA of a, of a secret, you then send the secret afterwards after the time period. So contract mm-hmm. C will check that um, S is the valid secret by running a SHA-3 against that S and verifying against the hash that you previously committed. A valid secret will be saved to the collection of seeds to finally generate the random number. So you pre-commit the hash of a secret. You then commit that secret. It checks to make sure that's valid. And then it adds it to a pool of valid secrets, which a you can hash all those together. The third phase, calculating a random number um, and refund pledge Ethereum and bonus. So after all secret numbers have been successfully collected, the contract will calculate a random number from the function f s1 s2 dash 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 sn so it's going to from all of the committed secrets the result will be written in the storage of c and the result will be sent to all other contracts that requested the random number before so you basically hash a random number from all of the committed secrets that have been verified it will then send back the pledge to the participants in the first phase and the profit is divided into equal parts sent to all participants as an additional bonus the profit comes from the fees that is paid by other contracts that consume the random number. So anything that consumes that random number is paying for it. And that profit gets split amongst the people who are contributing a secret to the DAO. And so that means that this is, this is a function of people um, submitting secrets. And the more people that submit secrets means it's more trustworthy because only one person needs to actually be random or truthful for the entire thing to be random. That's the idea of this thing. Okay. Yep. That's a Randau. Yep. yep. And so if you actually want to make sure that the Randau is correct, you just participate. That's all you have to do. You have to throw up one 
you throw in your own seed every time and you're, you've got skin in the game. Okay. Um, you don't even need to add something like unpredictable like the block header because if, as long as you're providing your random seed, they can't predict what that is until it's done. So um, the problem with that, though, is that it takes time. Um, you well, know, it, it, we're talking three initially, blocks. It initially takes time. Ah, um, uh, yeah, 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 but then after, it's got this kind that, of like, it's, it's 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 kind of stacked on top of each other, so each additional block will have the previous three blocks behind it. So it's 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 yeah. fine. Yeah, that's true. Cool. Okay. So yeah, um, so I mean, the Randall's pretty dope. Um, it it makes a lot of sense. Um, pretty straightforward way of uh, just calculating. Um, uh, you know, um, the other thing I think is like, does it increase? The cost to run, if say you have five seeds compared to if you say had five million seeds, as that uh, digest gets a lot bigger. But yeah, um, I'd imagine constant, there's a maximum cap. They don't have that specified here in terms of how many people contribute to the proof of stake system of the beacon chain. Yeah. But you could basically it can't just be a maximum. A similar. Be a- I bet it's all validators. Would it would it. have to be a random random select based off the previous Randall value. I imagine um, it to be a part of the validation because the, the the beacon chain is also storing and maintaining all all validators in the system. And I would imagine all validators participate in this part of the system. Well, as far as the beacon chain goes, we already know that there's it's doing a a um a committee selection. So we haven't gotten to that part yet. But um, if you look at the if you look in this document, it's basically selecting a subset of validators to sign the uh, the block for a shard. Mm-hmm. So you basically um, and, become a committee on various shards for a given epoch. An epoch is right. 100 blocks, and so yeah. that allows you to basically say you're in charge of validating these block these shards that will produce blocks. And so the number of shards is a function of the number of maximum validators. At least what it's what it says here. It's either it's either a function of the active validators or the maximum active validators. I'm not sure what it says in the document is maximum active validators, but that might be for calculating the maximum computational burden of what this is. So something that bothers me about that, it doesn't seem like. I feel like a hundred, all right, a hundred blocks, fourteen hundred seconds. Let's just say fifteen, fourteen seconds a block, which might be high now. Um, that's enough time that if somebody happens to have a significant amount of validation power, yeah, um, they could, uh, they could do some damage. It shouldn't um, be. They shouldn't have a significant. Oh, you mean like their shards happen to have be the only ones that actually have transactions on them, or what? Uh-huh, uh-huh. And, and I mean, they could suddenly dump a bunch of eth into the validation pool. Uh, I mean, it's harm free to pull it out if you get the get what you want. You, you're a truthful actor until you get until you get a majority of the validator. I mean, it would require a significant amount of eth, but like that's not unheard of for that's not impossible for a state actor to pull off. Um. Well, that the the distance so I feel like every mechanisms. block would be every block would be the much better way to select your. So let me make sure that's not that's the too case. Much work. I think that's wow. too much work. They don't want. It's to... actually got the function right there to do the shuffling. It's pretty straightforward. 
Well, let's continue um, discussing it. We'll talk about the kind sure. of ins and outs um, okay. as we get through like the general concept of how this works. So uh, as you become a validator by submitting your 32 Ethereum to the proof of stake chain, uh, you then get basically assigned a set of shards to then validate. And as well, if a shard wants to talk to another shard, you create these things called crosslinks, which is basically a, I want to access the state of a different shard. So I need to go through the beacon chain in order to do that, in order, to, in order for that state transition to actually happen and for both shards to know about it. So the main actual load of the beacon chain is processing the communication between shards. And that seems to be predetermined. I can't quite figure that out by the committees that get basically uh, allocated different shards when they join. Does that make sense? I'm still kind of confused about the crosslink thing. So when I read the description of it, it says the crosslink is a set of signatures from a committee attesting to a block in a shard chain, which means it's basically a, a at, at, it's a it's a it's a BLS signature, I think. Yes, it is. Um, which uh, can be included into the beacon chain. Will be included into the beacon chain. Crosslinks are the main means by which beacon chains learns about the updated state of the shard chain. That's just for validation purposes, though. How would you know? That's how the beacon kind of keeps track of what shards are supposed to look like. Um, so that you, uh, I, I think, I think there must be something that they're not talking about here. Well, the idea of sharding in general is that is, you separate the entire state of the system so that a validator only has to care about a subset of all the transactions that are happening. But if a one shard wants to reference or move tokens to a different shard, you, you need some form of communication there. That communication is in the form of going through the beacon chain because that's like the root, right? Uh. And so in order for you to communicate through that, you then have to attest that the information being sent from one shard to the other is correct, which is done in the form of a BLS signature from all of the validators who have been assigned the sending chain. It says like this person wants to send information to this shard and then the validators of the sending shard say at least a subset of them say, yep, that's good. And then once that happens, it's then been, I think, quote unquote, justified on the root chain, which the receiving chain can then act on it. Right. So you need you need two blocks just to get your F from one chain to another, uh, one shard to another. Are you staking? I don't see anything here that talks about staking in a particular shard. No, I don't, um, I don't see that. Right. So like value mechanism transfer, blah, 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 shouldn't well, each, matter. Well, each shard is, is, a, is its own blockchain. It can do anything. It's it's a it's a, it's a, for all intents and purposes, is probably going to end up just being a Ethereum blockchain in itself, and it actually says that in the right. notes at the bottom. I'm on the wrong page. The notes at the bottom. It says uh, another wrong page. I mean, page is my wrong here. Yeah. I mean, the very top says shard chain, one of the chains in which transactions take place and account data is stored. Um, but I think what what's what's bothering me is where where is the value actually stored the value in, is stored in the shards the shards are in just the, individual ethereum blockchains and then you need communication between them mm. 
and that's why I that's why I view. So you have to stake in a, stake into a shard chain Correct. in order to do anything. Yes, when you okay. send when you send your initial um, deposit, mm -hmm. you say uh, that the contract that's on the main proof of work chain. One of the changes need to be made. It says on the main chain, a contract is added. This contract allows you to deposit 32F. The deposit function also takes as arguments a public key, a withdraw shard ID, yeah. and a withdraw yep, address, and okay. the Randall commitment. So that means that you, you make your commitment for the random, for the Randall. You then say which shard ID you plan to be on, which, which mm -hmm. shard ID you plan to withdraw the Ethereum you're depositing, and the withdraw address in which you will withdraw it from. So you're committing yourself to a specific shard ID. Right. I don't know where you figure that out. Yeah. I mean, that's basically um, you're saying, I, I'm going to work on this shard is where I will you. put my money. And from there, you can move it amongst all the other shards via the like exchange going doing doing crosslinks. Right. So the thing that bothers me is that those crosslinks aren't instant. Um, of course not. They can't be. Right. Well, not the way this is built, no. Um, so I'm kind of like... Um, Well, I mean, that's that's kind of the whole idea is that if each shard right, so, is big enough to be an Ethereum ecosystem, you just have my application lives on shard ID this. But that's 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 the thing I'm trying to avoid. And the reason I'm doing that is because like freaking crypto kitties gets really successful on one shard. Now you have to reference multiple shards. Um, how do you balance load across multiple shards? Why does it um, get big across multiple shards? It, no, no, it gets big on one shard. Mm -hmm. So CryptoKitties blows up. All right, suddenly that shard is like shock, you know, like 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 really like bogged down, and they decide they need to go onto two shards. Let's just say they picked this number themselves and created their own shard because I don't see anything that has shard creation in here either. Shard um, creation is a function of validator set. So like the the number of shards, it looks like there will be a maximum of four hundred four thousand shards. Okay. So uh, they they don't get to create their own shards. It's basically something that that would be baked into the system at this moment. Yeah, at this the, moment, the shards seem to be pre-created. The yeah. validator set shuffles as to who's validating each shard um, yeah. at each epoch. It re it reshuffles who validates what shard at each epoch, and so a, a validator will have be assigned a given number of shards to validate all the transactions in that shard. Right. Okay. So if, okay. So then, if they don't validate that shard. They're, I'm guessing, slashed. Yes, um, which has not been the penalties for for doing those types of things have not been laid out. That's part of the you yeah. know, missing sections. So, so okay. So then the the you like okay, CryptoKitties is like I'm gonna throw up my contract. I'm gonna stick it in this shard. Okay, so then each shard is basically its own self-contained thing what we're really doing though is just creating some mechanism for transferring between shards so let's say crypto kitty blows up on four uh three thousand nine nine hundred ninety nine okay um and it's doing amazing so amazing that that particular shard is just like caked with i guess it wouldn't matter then would it because like the validators will still have to validate all the transactions that go on all shards yeah so no particular shard could ever be imbalanced I feel like it's just going to be. I don't know how the deterministic method for 
deploying contracts will be. So like, because the at the end, end of the day, the end user or the developer developing on this new system has to then somehow find a way to pick a shard to deploy to. Right. And that's the thing that's kind of like interesting to me, like, I, I, well, f- can contracts reference other shards, for instance? Um, I, I don't know if you can um, at the moment, at least, um, especially since they, they use Blake, which isn't available in current implementations of Solidity. No, that'll be, that'll be baked in more than likely. Yeah. No matter what happens in the system, if let's say 4 million users suddenly dump like 10 transactions each on, across all shards, it doesn't even matter if one's focused on one shard more than another, the validators still need to churn through them all, all those mm-hmm. transactions. Mm-hmm. Um, right? It's just distributed. It's, it's, no yeah. longer, not, it's no longer every validator turn, uh, processes every single transaction. And I kind of think about this in terms of um, how it was done for... Um, Cadena, except yeah. that Cadena is automatically load balancing based on proof of work. So they just right. do proof of work across whatever chain there is, except this one is instead of using the graph theory to figure out who processes what or how, how transactions move across them, the Randall assigns the, val- the active validator set to look at various uh, shards and validate right. those things, and that shuffles every epoch. So you can't you can't you know, be the guy that handles given shards. You just yep. automatically get assigned various loads based on how much work each shard is doing. So say I'm a, I'm an active validator, epoch to epoch, depending on um, how much work is on each shard, my load may be, my load may change. So like, you know, that CryptoKitties shard gets passed around and whoever has those has to then handle that workload while maybe some of the other shards either, you know, don't get anything done or, but you can't know. You can't predetermine which one that is because it's part of the. Those get assigned through the Randall, very much like Definity randomly assigns validator sets on um, whatever is built on top of Definity. Remember when we talked to them? You could basically like it's 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 a precursor to sharding because the consensus layer of each blockchain isn't dependent upon the random number generation. Right. And I I actually wrote a, I don't know if you've seen it yet, one of my comments uh, on the issues ticket, I mean, literally says, this is a resemblance to Definity, this is a resemblance to Cadena, here's how it differs, here's my understanding of this, and then I had some questions. Um, I I think, uh, uh, yeah, uh, it seems okay right now, it's just like, I, I still have some questions about how a user would interact with this on an application level. Yeah. So because we're going through, like, every single... Like, so all the shards would be processed basically somewhat evenly across the board, I would assume. Uh, but then there's really no load balancing in this that I see. So like, let's say one particular shard is being dumped with a million transactions um, or a ridiculous number of transactions uh, at once in one block period. Does that increase the transaction processing fee for that particular shard? Um, uh, does, you know, like the number of validators for that shard does not increase it's pretty much fixed from what I see. So there's no yeah. load balancing. It'll always be it. a subset of the active validators processing that right. shard. Right. And um, I don't know if they get lucky and happen to get more transaction fees based on the transactions that flow through those that particular shard or yeah. that's evenly distributed. Because it looks like um, if we look at, let's see, state transition. 
Yeah, I don't I don't see and it looks like they they'd get it because they don't have any way of saying like shard transition functions. So like if you're validating a shard, you must just basically get that. Like who gets to propose a block on a shard? A subset of the validators within that shard? I, I actually don't. I, I think that all the transactions are broadcast. I don't know, actually. Um, oh, wait, there's... Okay. That must be um, determined through Casper FFG, right? Attestations and the Casper FFG mechanism. Okay, so here we go. There's a function called get attesters and proposers. And it takes in state and it does that attestation uh, function, which does the get shuffling. Uh, and then the proposer is a particular person in the attestation. So it returns a list of the attestations, a, a partic- attestation being uh, the, the, the validators, the, the picked validators for this committee. And then it picks one from this literally randomly selected committee uh, based off of something called the skip count. Okay. That, that, what that is is basically saying um, in, in, in an epoch, a subset of the active validators will be assigned a shard in each block. A person will be randomly chosen within that pool to become the proposer. And that's probably through the Casper FFG mechanism. Yeah. What happens if that person shits the bed? Good question. They get slashed. But that also slows down the entire network. You're, you're, so like you're, you can't depend your protocol on one person being honest. Meaning that if, if I happen to be that person and I really wanted to screw with somebody, I'd probably have an attack vector there. And if your computer's offline. I mean, it's just... Yeah, or power goes out, you know? Um, and then you, I mean, but even then, like, that's, that to me is like, those are legitimate reasons, but, you know, maybe slashing is a reason to make sure that shit, do, that do, doesn't happen to you, you know? Well, that's what um, Definity does in terms of their slots, right? They, they assign, right. they randomly reassign um, who gets to propose a block based on a time period. And if you miss your time period, the next slot opens up. And so then you'll yeah. have two people that can propose a block. And if they both miss, then the next time period opens up and three people can propose a block. And it just basically ensures that as you increase the time or the delay of people proposing a block, you increase the number of people that can propose one. And then you can slash based on the result of whoever submits a block in that pool of people. Why doesn't everybody just submit a proposal block? And then you pick the one that's most common. I don't know. Well, it can't be most yeah. it can't be most common because it's basically random on the ordering of transactions. Yeah, true, but like you, you know, I think uh, and then you would get cases where nobody is the most common. I got you. Okay. Um yeah, um I don't know. Well, I feel like, like there's, there's a scoring system based on it. You basically have to score based on, I guess, time of submission. And that, yeah. I don't know. That, that seems to be stuff that either needs to be worked out or is worked out and yeah. they're not part of this this document. I feel like I'm missing something there because there's that that, that seems like something they would catch pretty early. And um, that's uh, – or maybe, you know, maybe we're mis- misunderstanding it. Also, for those who are listening to this, um, if you have answers to any of these things that we're ruminating on, please – um, talk to us, send us a tweet, um, send us a comment, send, send us something, send us an email so that we can, we can <laughs> figure it out and go through it again and correct ourselves. Um, 
also if we're saying something that doesn't make any sense ask us to reiterate it and we'll try and get to that as soon as possible so yeah so let's rehash that for a second so the, it selects a committee of validators from the using the rand randau seed mm-hmm. um and uh you know the count of validators it basically cr- it, it, it shuffles the validators in in a deterministic way and then selects a random selection of those validators to um to validate a particular shard um then it needs to partic- per- pick a proposer, someone who says, "This is the block we're going. This is the 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 actual view view. My perspective of the block is the one that you're going to be validating." Um, how do we know that that guy? Okay, so everybody's going to validate his perspective, which could be as valid as anybody else's. That guy kind of has a little bit of power there, doesn't he? Yep. Well, I mean, that's, that's kind of the idea. It's like there's, there's always going to be a, the power of the person who can propose a block. And mm-hmm. since the proposer is randomly generated amongst the subset of validators, which, I mean, I guess to get a, to get a sense of the number of validators they're discussing, mm-hmm. it says the minimal case um, with one validator per 32 ETH, the minimal case is a max is, is 1 million Ether. So 31,250 validators. That's the smallest number of validators that seem to be in the pool. Um, I don't think that they're saying this will work whatsoever until it gets to that number. So this may not even start happening until you get to 1 million Ether and you have 331,250 validators. At the maximum, which is literally worst case scenario and every every single person who owns Ethereum stakes, which isn't going to happen, is 4 million validators. So this is something that can work. So as you increase the number from 31,000 to 4 million, the number of validators looking at a specific node increases. And so with the smallest number, 31,000, that's 31,000 divided by almost eight validators per shard. And so that's the minimal case, apparently. And then that pool of eight people then can then gets randomly chosen to produce a block and the other ones has to be seven because it has to be, it has to be uh, odd for BLF signatures, I think. But then that pool will then, someone will propose a block and the pool then verify, verifies that block through BLF signatures. If there's somebody that wants to then move information from outside of it, they have to submit a cross-link to the beacon chain to be validated on the beacon chain, which another shard ID can figure out what to do with it. So it's it's a hierarchy, right? Beacon chain is basically just saying this is the this is the validator set. This is what shards have been assigned to those validators in that validator set, and this is the random number. So what um what's this going to look like for users then? Because this is something no that, idea. like right. So like um like I'm all right. So let's start from the developer perspective. I'm going to throw up my my application on a particular shard. Um, now I want that application to exist in other shards. Um, am I going to have to like have a state shard, which all my other contracts talk to and then send state updates to that. And will that delay the processing of my, you know, payment stuff? This, this really does feel like it's going to depend significantly more on layer two solutions. Well, it, it's going to also depend on a different naming scheme for addresses because you're going to have to reference a shard ID whenever you send something. Yes. So yes. address addresses need to be 
need to have some type of shard reference and checksum across those things so that and that that seems like it's not even thought about yet. I don't know. I haven't looked at all the EIPs or anything like that based on this. Well, but. I think we could just append that to the end of the address because addresses are less than two fifty six bits sure. in length, right? So that wouldn't even be too much of an issue, I think, um, from a addressing perspective. It increases um, it increases the screw up space of sending something to the wrong place. So, like, say you're like you want to send something yeah. to a contract and you get the shard wrong. You can get the the ad contract address right, but the shard ID wrong. And if without yeah. checksumming yeah. or that type of thing, which is a built-in cool thing, right though, now. is that the way that contract addressing works, it's going to be damn near impossible to squat a contract address. Um, you know, to 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 exploit that particular situation. Though I think it would make sense if contract addressing actually took into account the shard ID. Um, mm-hmm. itself um so if you post the same contract on multiple shards um the exact same contract it would it would produce a different well i guess it still wouldn't matter what's interesting about this is that like say this is still taking into account the main proof of work chain mm-hmm. um that means that there's more changes that need to happen to the main chain in order to communicate with all of the shards because you would like it to be the beginning of this thing says a a one-way deposit so like including block referencing and a one-way deposit so it looks like money can only flow from the main chain main proof Uh of work chain to this pos system as Uh, of as of this specification there you go so that's the migration question we had earlier is this a migration or a it is a migration it's a one-way deposit off of the proof of work chain onto this proof of stake chain Right. So then the question, this becomes problematic for people who can't afford 32F. <laughs> um, yeah, basically. Because you, there's no mining pool situation there. Um, so you, you get you get all your F, you get you get in a mining pool situation, like, what's the mining pool going to own your F from now on? Because it's going to stake on your behalf, and then like, we're gonna have, there's going to need to be a creative solution for that. There's just going to need to be a creative solution for that. There, there's got to be just like, like a, a... It's a marketplace. A, yeah, a non-staking way to get money off of the main chain and into a shard. It is. It's a marketplace. It's those. It's those large F holders. Um, basically, they ha- now have the ability to run no, multiple validators, and then sell proof of stake Ethereum for proof of work Ethereum to then f- further create more validators. Right. I don't think that's even necessary. I think I think it's as simple as creating a just withdraw it to a shard on the main chain. Like I think it's just that simple. Like oh, I got two F. Let me withdraw it to the main to the to this shard. Cool, okay. done. Yeah, that would. You work. know, I don't I don't think you need to go through the hoops of of even of even validating just to burn your coins. You know, like well, that's that's straightforward. Though, that's the way this system actually handles inflation. And total supply, and so that like because there's no payout scheme, like it's that's not even sure whether or not it's reasonable to be a validator because you don't know how much money you're going to end up making relative to 32f by participating in validation. Right. Well, any money you make is better than no money. <laughs> so like, well, I don't, I don't think like, like, if you you're not spending it. it and it is locked up and you can't use it, that's first off the lock period is a hundred. Is a is a, a hundred blocks. That's that's, that's that's nothing. Come on, you can wait an hour. Um, not even if the block times decrease, which is something I think might happen. Um, 
you know, I, I feel like I feel like the way this is constructed, that's still flexible enough that it shouldn't matter to anybody. Now, for inter- international payment mechanisms, that could be an issue. But you know, like let's say you're transferring money, I, I don't know. No, even then, like it's it's like it's not going to be as fast as Swift. But an epoch uh, is half an hour. Yeah. Uh, 14 seconds times... I did, yeah, 15, I did 100. 15 seconds. It's 0. 0.4. Sure. Yep, there you go. Then it's half an hour. So yeah, that's that's not terrible. Um, and, and, and what's also something that's interesting about this that I don't think has been like discussed is that you really can... like, You really can be way pretty assured that a transaction is, is confirmed way, way quicker. Um, just the way Why? that this works. Because... You don't need to worry about having 51% attacks on a particular shard. And two third percent attacks are statistically even like more unlikely given that the shard pool is selected from a random selection of people across all participants of all validators. And if they're going to attack a particular shard, that that would mean that they would not only have to be randomly selected to have two thirds on that particular on that particular shard, but that they could profit from that particular shard being attacked in that way. I mean, it's just like the 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 the, the amount of likelihood of that happening is stupidly low, like ridiculously low. Does that make sense? Mm. Yeah, we'll you know, do anything about it. Yeah, because like like they're random. You got this pool of let's just say I don't know um, how many validators is a minimum. Let's start with the minimum. Seven. No, no, no. Uh, uh, Thirty-one thousand two hundred fifty uh, validators. Okay. Yeah. Um, and there's four thousand shards. So, math, math, math. Three, one, two, five, zero. Put seven. A little over seven. Seven. Okay. Oh yeah. Okay. Cool. So uh, let's just say there's uh, seven nine validators for each one. You have to literally get put in the bucket that's interesting to you, and do and have two thirds of your validators put in that bucket, and then be able to execute in the time frame that you've noticed that there's a problem or there's a way to profit off of this, and then actually profit off of it oh it's i mean it's very it's very similar to how dfinity works except for the yeah. source of randomness yeah it really is I, I don't even see why they need randau although it's not bad like it's actually in this context as part of the protocol it's it's not bad is dfinity is dfinity patented maybe that's why uh, i mean you can't so like i don't know does I, it matter i don't know like i don't know if it even matters I, well, they're, definitely, like, they're, they're they're trying to and it, it, these from your comments from the developers and, and vitalik is to maximize the decentralization of the validation pool 32f as a base deposit is a really good way to do that now from there it's really hard to figure out um because one person who owns a ton of F can do 30, like divided by 32 F is a lot of validation validators in that pool, but it gives access to those uh, underneath that. Like for instance, like if you look at EOS, like the validation pool for EOS is 21 people across right. that, that, that entire network. Definity, um, I'm not quite sure, but it seems to be relatively large. I don't know. I don't know what their sta- like their, their staking minimum is. And so it, that's the reason for picking such a small number, which is an inclusive number, 
and allows people to then participate in mining without having to worry about um, access to hardware, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. What is like, what is 32F at the moment? Uh, it's $1,600. $1,600? Okay. Yeah. It's so $16,000. Right. Yeah. Sorry. $16,000. So that's not, sorry, sorry. that's not terrible. <laughs> in ter- it's not, that's not, that's a lot of money. Don't get me wrong, but it's not a yeah. lot in comparison to the capital required to um, be a real player in proof of work mining. Cool. So like, yeah, 1500F is, is, is what it, it was. The 32F is way more reasonable and definitely less prone to centralization. So that's fantastic. Um, you know, uh, this also gets rid of ASIC problems. So that's great. Um, meaning that if you're the way the proof of stake works is it's just completely not ASIC, um, susceptible at all it's, really it's really hard um, to, to evaluate whether or not this will work um until we know what slashing how slashing works yeah. Yeah. as well as the incentive mechanism like you can't say <clears throat> it's going to be fair and the incentives slash the, the carrots and sticks are aligned to make people work properly until you know what those rules are mm-hmm. this is just the skeleton framework of the like infrastructure of how communication works for the system and where mm-hmm. random number generation actually comes from. Now you can't say it's get, like, there won't be collusion. There won't be anything like that until you understand the exact specification of the carrots and sticks. Mm-hmm. So for those who are curious about that type of thing, they're going to have to wait. Yeah. But let's talk about the benefits real quick. Um, so, Unlike unlike Definity, which is cryptographically, you know, set up and and you know it's based it's based off of a pretty pretty uh, solid crypt- cryptography. The problem is like a network like that has um, let's just say there's a, a sudden advancement in quantum computing. Suddenly, their cryptography also has to be quantum safe. Um, this can happen in a myriad of ways, or or a particular algorithm is broken for whatever reason, which is not unheard of. You know. Um, it could it could raise attack vectors because this is an incentivization model, and the cryptography is almost like the secondary part of that for validation and signing purposes. But the 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 actual like building of the consensus mechanism is based around the idea of incentivization rather than crypto- pure cryptography. I see. I feel as though this is actually safer in the hundred year view than something like Definity or Cadena would be, meaning that you don't have to upgrade your protocols. You don't have to worry about collusion of miners and that kind of thing um like with cadena uh, i'm not so sure about that so i like that part of it uh the other part is that like currently storage of blockchains is ridiculous and one of the benefits of this system as it stands is that uh, i think they said it takes what 400 megabytes to store the beacon chain in like even the most extreme scenario yeah which is just really like especially the fact that that's not even too much of an issue right now. We're going to be looking at, at things like well, IoT devices able to participate in this network. megabytes per something. Like it's overhead analysis. Now it's it's like if you get the beacon chain, you're going to have to store all the blocks that you're then validating and that has to then switch. And it's, it, this, Don't get me wrong. The system is checkpointed. Yep. So when you're syncing to something, you only care about the previous checkpoint. Even running in the most extreme an case, archival node in this scenario seems to be out of the question. So, if you would like to maintain uh, the entire state of all history across all shards, 
I'm not sure how much that load's going to be, and I have to do some like I'd have to do some some calculations to figure that out. Wait, uh, so per block per epoch, I think it's four hundred megabytes. It's four hundred megabytes. Okay, that's four hundred megabytes the, every at thirty a, minutes. At hundred, so that that would be where uh, you have like full maximal utilization. Everything on the network is a validator, yeah. which of course is never going to happen because then who's spending? <laughs> like, if, let's say you have a supply of one hundred twenty-eight yeah. million. F. I mean, like somebody's got to be doing something on the network for this to even work. Um, but let's just say, so one hundred two bytes per validator. And that's just the state, the current state. Now keep in mind that's the current state. Not the deltas of the state. You realize that this is so. This is all based on the assumption of 128 million Ethereum as a supply cap. So yeah, I'm looking at even the most goes, extreme case. You don't even see inflation. I'm saying I'm talking about inflation. How the total supply changes over time. Yeah. Um, this may the movement to this may mean that you basically stop inflation altogether, and you have the limited amount of total Ethereum ever in existence. Or at least until a serious hard fork happens. And so you only yeah, have possibly. shuffling of Ethereum as opposed to introduction of new Ethereum. Or Ether, sorry. So yeah, even even with like a single beacon chain block in the most extreme case is 9,140 bytes. So 9, 9.1 kilobytes. That's okay. not too bad. No, that's fine. Yeah. So, uh, I and I, I feel like with pruning and the fact that you don't need to maintain a full, you know, a full node on, say, your Raspberry Pi, I, I don't, I, I see this allowing for participation, participation in uh, a blockchain on mobile devices, which is oh, currently an issue. Four hundred megabytes for the entire chain. That's including all shards. That's a, well, that the entire chain state, the current entire, state, entire, no, entire chain, current state. Yeah. It's 400 megabytes. Uh, so that yeah. includes all shards. Yes. With at, at the Okay, so that actually the number of shards is a function of the number of validators. Yeah. That's interesting to know. So that means that it could wax and wane as time goes by depending upon the number of people who are participation and val- participating in validation. I mean, that's a problem because if I launch my application on shard 4000 and then 4000 disappears. Yeah. It's either going to have to be. I need to be able to max. stake in a particular shard. I, I I think need, I need to be, no, I think I what's need, happening is that um, it's just going to set it to the max, which is going to be 4000, around 4000 shards. Mm-hmm. And then you distribute across those things. I see. Yeah, that makes more sense. I, I think I see what you're talking about. The maximum number of validators and blah blah blah, approximately four thousand shards. No, it's 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 actually saying, yeah, I see. Okay, I, I think they do have to fix the number of shards that the protocol allows. It's just saying, okay, okay, as the number of validators moves, you have to account for what the what each validator is putting into the beacon chain. Yeah. Which is so like, and that and that changes with the number of validators. So it's always going to be the same number of shards, but the amount of attestation across those shards changes as the validator set changes. So as more and more people become validators, more and more people are submitting information to the beacon chain. In the worst case scenario, where everyone is a validator, who can be, that's four hundred megabytes. In the worst, in the minimum case scenario, it's three point three megabytes 
or so around there. And those are just crosslink records for the crystallized. Yes. Yeah. And you only need to know the current one for that too. You can literally discard it if you really wanted to the next time, like after per, per epoch and get the next one. The processing of all this information seems to be relatively insignificant. He said he does, um, you know, it's about one second for the 400 megabyte on a laptop. Yeah. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Which is why they're using Blake because it's much faster. Yeah. Blake is yeah. a cryptographic scheme. So you have, it's a SHA-3 scheme called, uh, instead of, what is it, Kekak? Ketak? Mm -hmm. I, don't to, I don't know how to say the word. They're using Blake 2, which is a faster hashing algorithm. That's more similar to SHA-256. Yep. That makes sense. Yep. And so, I mean, long and short of it, uh, it's... So, you know, um, I think it's less susceptible to um, long-term damage due to increase in computing power. Um, it is less uh, a revolution in computing power. Who knows? Maybe we can... Alien technology drops from the sky all of a sudden. We're a super advanced species, and all of our all of our junk breaks. Like that would suck. Um, I, I this is not problems. based around that. It doesn't matter. <laughs> we'll have worse know? problems if that happens. Yeah, whatever. I mean, I think I think it starts with setting. Uh, I like that Rick and Morty episode where he says, "Watch me, watch me take take out an entire intergalactic civilization yeah. by changing a one to a zero. Yeah. and he just sets the price of the dollar to zero. <laughs> Their base just starts killing themselves. I I, I, I mean. Whatever. All right. All that aside, uh, I, I um, the geek stuff will put away. I mean, I feel like this is just because it's based on a game theory incentivization model. It has a different set of attack vectors um, than a cryptographic model would. And I think if we could bash out a model that seems to work really well, um, which we could do iteratively, by the way, we could start seeing problems or uh, theorizing on problems as they come and fix it. Uh, I feel like that's easier to do maybe than, oh crap, all the cryptography broke. Um, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, which is something I, I, I probably shouldn't be as afraid of as I am, but I kind of am. A lot, of, a lot of the conversations I've had in the past year have suddenly been bringing up quantum secure blockchain technology because it seems to be a concern for a significant number of people, a significant number of significant people. And so I'm kind of like, okay, um, this might be on the horizon in the next five, 10 years. So no, no, you don't think so? No, I don't. At a state actor level? No. Quantum you don't cryptography? Think so? No, not a problem. No, not quantum cryptography. Quantum. Well, first off, they already have some quantum cryptography research. Quantum out computers there breaking traditional cryptography. Yes. That's I, what I'm talking that's about. Not a, yeah. That's not going to be a problem in the next five to 10 years. Right. That's what I'm talking about. It's so, not going to be a problem in the next five. To oh, 10 it's years. not. It's not going to be an issue. No. That's we're hmm. gonna we're gonna be able to justify whether or not it will be an issue in the next five to ten years, but it won't be an issue in the next five to ten years. Not even for a state actor. No. Okay. Because I feel like the Manhattan Project of 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 the world where information is sort of this is where I'm gonna get a little weird again. Okay. The Manhattan Project for a uh, a world where we have a we're having trade wars instead of like weapon wars. The Manhattan Project for that would be something that can completely decrypt encrypted documents and and um, 
you know, expose secrets of, of a nation and show, you know, air out the dirty laundry. I feel like that's where the focus would be. Um, and so, I mean, we pulled the atomic bomb together pretty quick. If we're kind of in that scenario right now, it's starting to feel like then I, I'll that's... agree. The arms race of today is figuging out quantum computing. Yeah. But yeah. The, and that will be a state actor, which means now, resources. Of course, where we are now is so far behind in terms of even a clear vision of what it's going to look like that it's not going to yeah, be Yeah, but even frankly then, like, they, here's the other thing. It's like, if I was a state actor, I'd pull an Enigma sh- machine on it and just, like, hide the fact I had it, <laughs> you know? Um, you know, I would start using, leaning pretty heavy on the coercion side instead of the, uh, you know, um, the exposing side for at least a few years. Um, and because of the bursty nature of this kind of revolution... Um, meaning that, you know, as soon as everybody knows we have it, everybody has it. Uh, but as long as we're the first, we probably got it safely locked down for a few years. Um, I don't know. I feel like, I feel like it's actually a concern that somebody could have that aha moment that we're missing. And that leads to a revolution for one particular person over another. And that could definitely do damage in a system like this. And all right, so let's just, let's just, let's just say, okay, screw that, whatever we get quantum secure, uh, you know, cryptography, blockchain in the future. What's the next step? You know, this is not like it's not like we stop at quantum computers. There's got to be like a next step for that. We're going to have another revolution down the road. So, um, you know, I kind of feel like quantum computing, I mean, not quantum, uh, using cryptography as the longest term solution is not necessarily the best solution. Um, and that we probably should be exploring more game theory incentivization models. So that um, you know, it would take a significant number number of you know value suicidal people to actually harm the network. Um, I see what you mean. Yeah, don't let technology be the deciding factor on whether or not it works. Let humans be the deciding factor on whether or not it works. Yeah. and then yeah. organize and if, the and humans. If, and if everybody's willing to 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 break it, then it should be broken. All right. Well, you know, that's an interesting way to wrap up this interesting episode that we just had. Uh, I hope that other people got as much out of it as we did as we talked through what this is supposed to look like if you have questions comments concerns contact us in any way you can figure out how mostly the twitter or through our emails i'm petty at hashing it out dot stream colin's colin at hashing it out dot stream holler at us holla holla and hit me up on twitter colin at colin couche that's c-o-l-l-i-n c-u-s-c-e and at Corpetti, C-O-R-P-E-T-T-Y. We'll see you next week. Bye.